Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to Future Tech Podcast. This is Juliet Lamar, your host. And today I have on the line Ted Harrington. He is the executive partner at Security Evaluations. Hi, Ted. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. So what is a security evaluator? Is it just what it sounds like? Uh, it, it is indeed. Yes. <laughs> we, uh, what we do here at Independent Security Evaluators is we perform security assessments, help companies build their security programs, and we conduct security research. Wonderful. So on, on what sort of technologies? Everything or do a specific? We've covered a wide variety of technology over the years. Uh, our core business, you know, how we actually make money, our consulting practice uh, primarily focuses on applications. So if you think about if you pull your phone out of your pocket and you've got all those uh, cute little squares that are all the different things that you can do on your phone, whether it's mail or chat or fitness apps, whatever, um, we basically assess those types of things. Um, I mentioned a bunch of consumer-grade ones uh, right there, but a lot of the applications actually we work on have primarily a business-to-business focus, um, but those are the types of technologies that primarily we're focused on. In our uh, security research practice, we have looked at a lot of things much farther afield from just applications, everything from connected devices to uh, car hacking to election hacking, uh, you name it, we've we've done quite a bit. 
this might be a too broad a question, but is there a, a most hackable thing? Like, what are the hackers up to today? Are they mostly attacking apps? Are they really working on cars and the IoT? Where are you seeing a lot of the uh, the hacker action? Well, one thing that needs to be taken in consideration as an answer to that particular question is to really understand that different attackers are motivated for different reasons. They'll carry out their attacks to pursue different end goals. And of course, all the different attacker types, they have different characteristics of access to financial resources or manpower resources or time resources. So it's an oversimplification to answer a question saying, where are hackers focusing? Because there are so many different types of hackers. Uh, we categorize them primarily into groups like organized crime, nation states, terrorist organizations, hacktivists, uh, small group type hackers. And, and then, of course, there's a whole subset of all of what I just described that are insider type of threats, which fall into their own sort of subsets of uh, opportunistic, accidental, or malicious insiders. And so when you when you think about it contextually like that, of all there's all these different attack groups, and, and you think about, well, why would a nation state attack something versus why would a organized crime syndicate attack something? Those are, they're going to have different motivations. Organized crime, typically motivated by profit, and nation states motivated by obtaining geopolitical advantage. So when you can sort of parse things out in that way and understand these different groups attack for different reasons, then from that you can step back and realize, well, given what the objective might be of this group, why they would perform an attack, that is going to dictate the types of things that they might attack. And so in that context, we see different attacker groups drawn to different types of technology for different reasons, which is a very long way of saying that there isn't necessarily one or another type of technology that that we see as sort of the the worst case scenario in terms of the technology itself, but that rather each type of technology, whether it's IoT, medical devices, mobile apps, desktop apps, whatever it might be, uh, the different types of technologies are going to attract different attackers for different reasons, and they're all going to be exploited in different uh, manners. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that in insight. Um, so at ISE, at ISE, what kind of services uh, do you provide? So we perform primarily security assessments. Uh, basically, what that means is that companies hire us to help them look at their technology and to understand where the weaknesses in the system might be. You know, how could the attacker exploit this technology? And of course, the reason for that is that our customers want to understand those issues so that they can remedy them before the bad guy can exploit them. And uh, those fall into a few different categories. Our, our primary one winds up being application security assessments, but there, there are also uh, security assessments that would be related to infrastructure. So that's both your network environment locally on-premise at your company, uh, but we're seeing a tremendous amount of infrastructure assessments that have to do with uh, cloud. You know, many organizations across the board, across industries are adopting cloud solutions, and that's a key part of uh, infrastructure security. 
Uh, and then the third type of security assessment would be what we call supply chain security assessments. And that's sort of the integration of a given technology, the third parties that it uh, integrates with, and um, how assets might be accessed by different parties in that supply chain. So those are our security assessments. They sort of fall into those three buckets. And then another thing that we do is we also uh, build security programs. So an example would be we have a, um, a Fortune 50 media conglomerate that's a customer of ours, and we help them actually build out their capability around how to deal with the security issues that might be introduced by their third-party vendors who have access to this particular company's assets. And then the third silo of uh, what we do is uh, we deliver training. So for companies who uh, are building software and they want to understand how to better integrate security into their build process, and they want to understand it from the perspective, not in theory of someone who says, oh, this is a, a principle of secure design, but uh, the combination of theory and practice, you know, from someone who actually knows how to rip apart systems, which is what we do, uh, then that is uh, the kind of organization who hires us for training. So when clients come to you, do you usually offer all three of these things together as a package or do people pick and choose? Walk us through what, what, what your clients go through when sure. they're working with you. Yeah, so it really depends what the, the client needs. Um, what we found is that the organizations who get the most value out of us uh, they actually like to engage us in some aspect uh, across all three of those. Um, really, the the core, the foundation of the relationship is really all about the security assessment. Through the security assessment, we get to learn the technology. We understand the business context around why the technology exists, who the users are, why someone would want to pay to use this company's service, et cetera, et cetera, uh, by understanding that intersection of the business and the technology, we're not not only able to deliver the security assessment, but also help them build out their capabilities in the program building. And then uh, for those organizations who then also hire us for training, we now are able to deliver more effective training because we understand the technology, uh, which understanding we have obtained through the delivery of the security assessment. So. Uh, usually, uh, almost all of our customers have us engaged for a security assessment, uh, and then some will then engage us for the other things as well as they all, basically all build on each other. Absolutely. And and when a company comes to you, they're putting a lot of trust in you guys to help them with, with the security because security is the utmost important thing for most companies these days. And you guys have some really great core values. Um, so that's nice to know within a company that, that you have things that you stand for that you're not willing to compromise on, such as integrity, quality, dedication, education, and that's that's really great to see. Yeah, they uh, they definitely dictate you know everything that we do. Um, they really manifest themselves in, in a number of ways. Um, some of the things that have really been exciting that we have uh, been able to do at our organization is is publish security research, and I could talk a little bit about some of our you know more more well-known examples in a moment. Uh, but what's really cool to, you know, for, for me as, a, as an entrepreneur and as a leader in our company, uh, one of the things that I find really stimulating and inspiring is being able to do things that matter, right? And, and do them in a way that are consistent with those qualities that you enumerated. 
And security research is a great way to do that because what we're able to do is to contribute things back to the communities from which we consume. You know, we learn a lot from other security researchers. And by us then producing security research, we're able to give back to that community. Uh, and we're also able to show the world actually how we truly live those values. Uh, our security research is very much defined by quality, it's very rigorous. It, it's very groundbreaking. We are often researching issues that we think are important issues for industries to be aware of and to really think about. And uh, and then, of course, you know, all of the uh, other values manifest as well. So it's not just quality, but it's the integrity of doing the right thing for uh, for the industry. We do this. We publish this research. We give it away for free. We don't charge for it. Um, and, you know, you can replicate that same line of thinking down the line of all of our values and, and why they would resonate with the delivery of uh, security research. Wonderful. I mean, that really resonates, I think, with a great, a great many people, with research and education being at the forefront of, of our tech, technological world, really. Um, can you go dive into some of the research that you've been doing and some of the things you've been learning through that? Sure. Yeah, so we've been around as a company since uh, 2005, which in uh, in security years, which is kind of like dog years, it's that's a very long time. Uh, you know, when, when you think about this industry that in so many ways is still new. Uh, we don't think it's new. We've, we've been doing it for a really long time. Uh, but there, in a lot of ways, the world is still figuring security out. And we think about over that, that lifespan, there's been this, this really interesting progression from we, we started as sort of these doing these cool hacks and then we've continued to do more cool hacks and then it evolved to a point where now we're sort of this activist industry advisor almost uh, you know uh, very central resource to industries where we've grown beyond even just the cool hacks to now say okay industry leaders here's how you solve real problems uh, at an industry level as delivered from a technical expert. And some of those sort of cool hacks that have led us from our point A 13 years ago to, our, to where we are today is uh, we actually um, came out of a piece of security research. We were born out of the PhD program at Johns Hopkins. And the first piece of research we published was around car hacking. And we actually found a way to start a Ford automobile Without the authentic key, we, we built a weaponized software radio that enabled an attacker to actually circumvent what's known as the uh, mobilizer function, which basically exists so that uh, you can't go have a cheap copy made of a car key. Um, for instance, if mm. you gave your key to the valet when you're going to dinner, the valet couldn't go copy that key and start your car with just the mechanical key because of this immobilizer function. And, and we found a way to actually defeat that with a software radio. Um, we then went on to be the first company to find an exploit in the iPhone when that first came out. Uh, we didn't get a first release <laughs> edition. Uh, we were just like every other idiot standing in line, you know, and that first came out to, to buy one. And, and sure enough, we were, we were the first people to crack it. Uh, we did the same thing when Android OS came out with a few years later. We went on after that to uh, spend some energy looking at uh, hacking routers. We basically hacked, uh, we found exploits in uh, every single major uh, router 
that uh, was of the consumer grade routers at the time. We then went on to uh, our most recent research focused on medical devices. And we spent a couple years studying how an attacker could actually exploit uh, passive medical devices like the patient monitor, which is the, the screen that you see next to a bed that shows your heart rate and a few other uh, vital signs. We found how you could exploit that in a way that would influence the way a physician behaves and could potentially make the physician actually administer uh, some damaging care. So hurt the patient or, or not help the patient who needs care, things like that. Wow, and that's really so dangerous. Those are... It's it's really dangerous and it's pretty scary. I mean, we think about digital assets, right? That's the most important digital asset that could possibly exist. More important than credit cards, more important than your social security number, more important than your your banking information. We're, we're literally talking about patient safety, and that mm-hmm. was why we wanted to study that one. Wow. So you guys have been around since 2005. You are at the forefront of a lot of really exciting, scary <laughs> research. Where do you see the industry going? Well, in a certain sense, so there's there's a, a good answer to that and there's a disappointing answer to that. <laughs> Maybe we'll start <laughs> with the disappointing answer. Uh, <laughs> the disappointing answer is that, um, unfortunately, I think that we're going to continue to see many of the same types of issues consistently introduced to technology over and over and over again. And w- what I mean by that is that you can look over the history of evolution of technology. And as you look at these major transformations, and those transformations include things like the adoption of uh, bring your own device, you know, mobile types of computing that's now brought into the workplace. Uh, you can consider the migration to cloud, which is certainly still underway right now. Uh, those are a couple of great examples of migrations in technology where an innovation happened and then widespread adoption immediately followed. And from a security standpoint, so many security issues have been introduced through these migrations in ways that um, are consistent, consistently reintroduced, I should say. And what's happening is the, uh, basically what happens is that the, uh, the fundamental principles, the security principles that dictate how you build secure systems, they don't wind up being adhered to throughout these new introductions. And so we're seeing it with connected devices, with the Internet of Things, widespread reintroduction of security issues, and not because these are new issues, but because they're failure to adhere to well-understood and known security principles. We'll see that again with the deployment of technology around uh, blockchain and cryptocurrencies, and we'll see it with whatever it is that comes next, you know, four or five years down the road. So that's sort of the disappointing answer to your question. Like, what what does the future hold? Well, the future holds some more of the same, but that is not all bleak. That would be a very uh, pessimistic way to look at the world if that was the only thing we focused on. From a positive standpoint, some of the things that I see that are happening that that are, are really exciting are things like the fact that companies really are starting to prioritize security in ways that even as recently as a couple years ago, companies weren't not only, they were only not only not prioritizing security, they didn't even necessarily understand it. And so now the companies are 
slowly starting to invest in the ways that they should invest, uh, both in terms of, and I'm not talking about just investing and hiring companies you know, like us. I'm talking about investing in their own people, having the appropriate headcount and making sure those are the right people doing the right jobs, reporting to the right executives with the right training, you know, all that stuff. And that's a slow, slow, slow process. But the fact that it's starting to move in that direction is a really positive thing. And it will take time. But the fact that the, the process is starting means that a brighter security future can be arrived at. That is much more uplifting than the first answer. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Um, is it just sheer laziness that people are not, when they have these new technologies, that they're not, they're making the same mistakes? And, and, you know, why do you think that, that keeps reoccurring? So I think about that question a lot. It's a really good question. And actually, my hypothesis is not laziness, uh, but rather it's market conditions that drive this. So mm -hmm. if you can put yourself in the shoes of an innovator or in the context of innovation is probably the better way to think about it. What happens with each one of these technology migrations, they sort of follow the same steps. The first step is some innovation happens. Apple was the first person to put computing in your pocket with the iPhone, uh, but that's just one example. There are, there are plenty of examples of the first person to connect a connected device, and now we have the Internet of Things, right? So someone innovates. The immediate step after innovation is there is a rush to meet market demand because what happens is you have this new technology. It delivers great new benefits either to consumers or to businesses or, or to both. And with this great opportunity comes the opportunity for monetization. And so now companies will say, well, great, here's the, there's appetite and there's interest in this particular solution. So I'm going to, I need to rush to get a solution to market that will satisfy this demand. And that's a good thing. And there's all, there's all kinds of economic and business research that demonstrates there's an enormous drop-off of market share capture of the difference between being first mover and anything after first mover. So these market conditions drive innovation, drive innovators to get their market, their solution into the market. And oftentimes security is, and I must say erroneously, but oftentimes security is erroneously seen as something that slows down the development process and thus slows down the ability to rush to market. And so that really is why security is not usually first and foremost of a differentiating feature set of innovative technologies. And mm -hmm. only after some time of people like myself and my peers, you know, banging the drum of why security matters for that type of technology, will security really start to then be better implemented. And so it's just a process that takes time. Absolutely. And it makes sense. You know, these people are driven by really, by very real factors in the industry that are causing them to make decisions that maybe aren't the best. And that's an age old problem with, with everything really. So with security evaluators, you guys are making it a lot simpler for innovators to come and get their products off the ground, but also in a safe manner. Yep, exactly. I like to think of us as enablers in mm -hmm. that we help businesses use security as a differentiator. We help them accomplish their goals. Uh, a lot of times to the uninformed, uh, to the uninformed organization, they see security as, 
the person who's going to come in and say, no, no, you can't Mm -hmm. do that. And no one wants to talk to the person who's going to tell them no when they're trying to create this great, innovative, market-changing solution. But that's not actually what a good security firm does for a company. What a good security firm does for a company is help them accomplish their mission and do so in the way that best protects their own downside in terms of if there was a security breach, as well as protect the downside of their users or stakeholders or their their customers who would also potentially be victims in a breach. And so that's that's the message that we're always evangelizing. You know, we're obviously also helping our customers actually secure their product. Like that's that's the key of it. Uh, and there are times we have to say no. You know, this is a bad design. Design it in a different way, and we'll help you design it in that different way. That does happen. But certainly, what we're we share the same common end goal, which is how do you get a great product to market? And that's exactly what we here are here to do for our customers. Well, I can hear it in your voice and the energy, and you know, the the experience that you're speaking from really is coming through. And I think that people really appreciate that moving forward. You're a yes man, not a no man. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. How can people get in touch with you? What is the easiest way for companies to come and get set up with your service? Probably the easiest would be to just visit our website and there's obviously contact information right there. Uh, that's mm-hmm. securityevaluators.com. Super easy to to go visit us there. You can also read a bunch of the research that we've done to sort of get a taste for uh, the kinds of work that we do. But that would that would definitely be the best. Uh, you could also um, find me on LinkedIn. It's Ted Harrington, pretty easy to find. Um, or you can hit me on Twitter, at Security Ted. But really, any way that you might reach out to our organization, uh, I'll make sure that the right people can uh, take care of you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us today, Ted. It's been really eye-opening. Well, thank you so much for having me. I hope this was helpful. Absolutely. That was Ted Harrington, the executive partner at securityevaluators.com. This has been Juliet Lamar with Future Tech Podcast. Thank you so much for joining in. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, in their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000-plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. 
To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.